cool. So thanks very much for coming on uh, the show today, Katarini. Um, I'm saying that right, aren't I, Katarini? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Perfect. No, that's good. Um, I was really. Uh, I, I know on Saturday we had a Zoom meeting uh, with uh, a few other people, and you and Emma were hosting it, and it was a bit difficult because Emma's connection was really bad, but the connection's really good tonight. <laughs> I know, isn't it so much different? Totally different. <laughs> um, no, but um, it, it was really good, like listening to some of the stories that I did hear. I, I could hear perfectly fine. It was just that the video was just a bit slow. I don't know if it was because there was loads of people on the video or um, if it was just because uh, me and Emma were using the same connection to try and do the video. But anyway, we got there yeah. in the end and I still listened to the message, which was good. Um, do you maybe want to just describe to people who are listening um, who you are? Who am I? Um, I'm an average person, I think. An <laughs> average person with a little bit of extra stuff to talk about. So um, I have bipolar and then on top of that, I have a stoma. So if anyone doesn't know what a stoma is, I have a little bit of my intestines poking out of my stomach. And I threw it out of there in a bag. Oh, so, wow. Um, yeah. What the hell? Yeah, That's so fucked. I, <laughs> my bowels stopped working. Yeah, it's a, it's a conversation starter, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Uh, That's yeah, a good my one. My bowels stopped working a few years ago. And then uh, I had to have, there was no there was no alternative. I tried everything else before. And it was just a case of um, having the surgery. And when I had the surgery, I didn't really want it to be reversed. Yeah. It, it made life so much easier. And then when I saw the surgeon for the checkup, she said, no, we can't do reversal anyway. So I have bipolar stoma. And I go by that name on my website and everything I do speak. Um, when I do my public speaking, I, I call myself bipolar stoma. And I think I got two, um, two taboo subjects. So it was a case of people don't talk about mental health. And despite everyone doing it, People don't talk about poo either, so I kind of took it upon myself <laughs> well, to do it myself. Yeah, now I talk about do you know what? You've uh, you're talking to the right person. We could probably do a whole po- podcast. <laughs> I was going to say poo cast. We could we could do a whole poo cast. That's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> I swear, Emma's like any time like I have anything to do with poo. She's like, "Why are you obsessed with poo for?" And I'm like, "I don't know. It's just one of those things that uh, I find interesting." <laughs> yeah, it is so nice. And I do a speech, no matter how big or small the crowd is, I always say, like, don't be shy because we all do it. Mm. We, all, we all speak and we all say things and we all kind of, we all wear clothes yeah. and we also all poo and it's not really anything to be ashamed of. Like yeah. in Japan, when you have a meal, it's, um, it's, it's rude if you don't burp. So. Well, there you go. I thought you were going to say something different exactly. if you don't poo exactly. after the meal. <laughs> Um, no but it's it's so true like um i I hate like whenever people talk about like uh this sort of like taboo uh subjects and because everyone does it and especially like pooing like who cares if you let out a fart once in a while and that's what i said to emma like i'll walk down the street and like obviously like i don't like it's sort of like a courtesy not to do it out loud to like in front of people and stuff like that but, um, I mean, if you have to go, you have to go. You have to do it. I mean, I'm not going to hold it in and make myself feel exactly. uncomfortable. <laughs> um, no, exactly. What a great way to start the podcast. 
So that's got a perfect icebreaker. Yeah, no, that was great. It's uh, I feel a little bit more relaxed yeah. now. Might go for a poo. No, I don't. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so it's called st- stomia. Stoma. Stoma. And so it's S T O M A. Yeah. Are you born with that? No. Um, the condition was um, for transit bowel, so it was kind of diagnosed as constipation, and then throughout like my childhood, I always had it, and I hit adulthood, and it got worse. And then when I was about 30 or 31, I was put on uh, medication for my bipolar. And one of the symptoms was constipation. So I thought, well, that's no more different than any than my own already. Mm-hmm. So when it got worse, the doctors just put my constipation down to my medicine. So we'll just manage it with laxatives. I don't know if this is too much information. It's not. Keep going. But for about three or four years, <laughs> three or four years, I ended up taking uh, like, 25 tablets of Senna a day just so I could go to the toilet but then there's only no laxatives and you're only supposed to take one to two in a week but I had to take 25 and when I got married I, I took 30 to make sure that before I got married I had I'd done all the food <laughs> um, because it's a bit difficult in a wedding dress isn't it to go to the toilet so <laughs> yeah and then it got to the point where nobody was listening but all the GPs were saying oh we just have to manage it all of this kind of, and it was getting to a point where at work I was sat near a door so I could go to the toilet. When I, when I went, I had, when, when my bowel went, you've got to go. Mm-hmm. I really had to go. Um, so it was a case of, I didn't have a life. I didn't really how I just couldn't really go anywhere without knowing where the toilet was. I couldn't go anywhere without knowing how long the journey was. So it got to the point when, when they said doma, I um, have a pretty bag. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a, a bit of a blessing in a way. So some people go, oh my God, that's awful. You have to turn it back. But actually, it makes life so much easier. I have a life now. I can yeah. go wherever I want. And then, and also, when I'm walking down the street and I can feel the people in my bag, I'm like, I'm shit in the street. <laughs> that is fucking brilliant. <laughs> the coolest thing is, I had, when, my, my job, I, um, I was sat next to a guy for 12 months. We've known each other for like 11 years. And um, there was three of us initially and um, one of my other colleagues went on maternity leave so it was just me and this guy. Mm-hmm. And I saw him burps as well so it does a little pump and you can hear it and you can't conceal it. You know, like when you do a fart, you can kind of see it. Yeah. You can't do that with a stoma so it just comes out. Oh, no. And at first I was a little bit embarrassed but afterwards he started pumping and trumping however many times he liked and I thought, that's fine, let's go for it. Then I became not embarrassed by my stoma burp. And were so you in the fine. restaurant? Did you say you were in a restaurant? Uh, no, that was at work. Oh, that was at work. So everyone just stayed away from you. Just left you in the corner. Probably even worse. <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, that's so brave of you talking about that. I love that. I love whenever people like just come out of it and just say it. Um, so I'm just not shy when it comes to that. Yeah, exactly. I, it's nothing. It's not bad. Like I think, like whenever you're younger, um, you don't want to turn around and say to people that you shit in the bag because obviously you get bullied and stuff like that because you know my kids are kids are just little bastards yeah, yeah. and uh like i i like i would have laughed at that. see if i was a kid like i would have been like look and making fun and all and stuff like that pointing fingers at people and um, but whenever you get older you just don't you don't care do you don't give a shit no no pun intended no i think you go either one of two ways you either kind of get embarrassed by the function and you can't cope with it or you are just do you know what? I don't care. This is the situation. We all do these things. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to go one of two ways. 
and I went the other way. I didn't have a choice. So I was already very open about my bipolar. So having a stoma was just an additional thing that I had to kind of deal with. Mm-hmm. And I was on the waiting list for surgery for like 12 months. So I had a I had 12 months to get myself prepared for it. So I thought, how do I deal with having a little bit of my intestines poking out? And it's going to be for the rest of my life. So I thought, I'll give it a character and I'll give it a name. Mm. So I don't call my stoma a stoma. I call my stoma Wilhelmina. Wilhelmina. <laughs> Wilhelmina. Willie for short. So, yeah. That's brilliant. And so, see the stoma procedure? Was it like, so, obviously you were shitting on your asshole, but... Uh, this is such a good conversation. Uh, I'm like in my element right now. Uh, so yeah, you're showing out your asshole. And then, so they done the procedure, cut your cut you open um, on your belly, and they pulled out um, a piece of your intestines. Yeah, a piece of my small intestines. So um, there's two kinds of two kinds of stomach. Well, there's three kinds. There's a, um, a colostomy and an ileostomy and a urostomy. So a urostomy is where that's connected to your bladder, but different to mine and a colostomy is where it's um the bit of your large intestines is put is, is like pulled out and that's kind of produces a different kind of poo um mine is an ileostomy so my small intestines is pulled out and it's a lot higher than um a colostomy and it, the, the poo is a lot more liquid as well mm. not that you need to know that no i do but yeah <laughs> <laughs> please <laughs> carry <enough>. on <laughs> yeah so like yeah, that's how it is. Like, I have um, a nearly optimist. Um, and, yeah, it's, yeah, that's just the way it is. Yeah. So, whenever you're uh, walking about and you're just, like, pooing in a bag, I take it at the start, like, it was really hard to sort of get adjusted to? Do you know what? No, it wasn't. Like, I, I, pr- I pretty much took it straight away. Um, I remember like, waking up in the hospital and I, when I was the day after the surgery and I thought, I wonder, how, I wonder if it's worked. And I couldn't look. So when the surgeon came to do the check, I lifted up the, the gown and stuff. And then he was like, yeah, it's worked. It's in there. And um, it was kind of like a celebratory dance in my mm. head because I'd waited so long to be able to, for something to, to work. Yeah. Um, and so when I, if you, you kind of taught how to do the back, how you change it, how you clean it. And, like, and I took it straight away. I thought, this is, this is how it is. I haven't got a choice. And... If it makes our life better, then I'm going to have to deal with it. Because yeah. I'd already built the character in my head of what Wilhelmina was like, and it was a lot easier because I would look at it and I wouldn't look at it as being part of my intestines. I would look at it as something that was helping me to carry on with life and mm-hmm. kind of make it a little bit easier. Um, and it did. So I can't really complain. That's brilliant. And do you, I like, I'll get into specifics as well. So um, is do you have a bag like attached to your intestine that's revealing all your stomach the whole time now? Uh, so the bag kind of goes uh, it's got like a, they call it a flange <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> I a, love these words a sticky bit with a hole in the middle <laughs> it's brilliant isn't it? There's a sticky bit with a hole in the middle and you put the hole over your stoma so um, like that's a bit of your intestines and the, the flange sticks to your skin mm-hmm. so when you poo the, um, the poo comes out of your stoma and automatically into the bag and you can change it every day or you can
yeah, once a day, it's like you change the same thing. And it's quite easy. Oh, the only thing, you've got to remember how to put it on. You've got to remember that it's like this to say when you put it on, you've got to be hand off the fan so that it kind of sticks to your skin a bit better. So you just got to make sure that and when it's not wet on your skin because it's, yeah. it's wet, then it doesn't stick. But it's just small things like that and mm-hmm. learning how to deal with it. So it's like sort of second nature to you now, like you're just like so quick at doing it and yeah. you don't even notice you're doing it. Yeah, I I actually don't remember what it's like to hurt my bum. No idea. Oh my god, that's what that was my next question. So <laughs> um actually before we go on to that, um did you so you're in testing, um is it like is it just out or is there like something protecting it or like how is it like protecting No, it yeah, so the bag goes over your intestines so you can't actually see it. So it protects that area. And I, I'm quite lucky that my bowel doesn't, doesn't kind of, because it's slow transit in the morning, it doesn't poo. So, um, some people poo constantly, so it's like constant liquid or poo coming out of it all the time. Mm-hmm. But because my slow transit, I've eaten the night before, the next morning when I have a shower, I can shower bagless, so I can take the bag off, have a shower so I can get it clean and everything, come out of the shower and then put the fresh bag on. So everything is covered. Um, to protect it because it's basically like having um, not so much an open wound but it's like having some your organs exposed yeah. so um, you just have to cover it and make sure that it's like it's concealed and everything's in the bag okay and is it like say if you're like you're sleeping or anything like oh like say you go to like sit down do you have to sit in a certain way or is it is it hurting or anything like that yeah. no you can't even feel it to be honest even when you cork it you can't really feel it you can't make it happy that all. The only difference it's made is when I when I sat before I had the operation, I sat on my uh, on my front, so I would sleep like um, like kind of like a dead body, mm. you know, when the when they put the chalk thing around them. Yeah. Sleep on my front, hands under the pillow. But because I've got the stoma now, if I, I learned pretty quick that if I was on my front and I squished it, then the bag sometimes comes off, and then you've got a really bad mess in bed, and that's not great. Yeah. So I sleep on my side now. Um, it's not great because sometimes you're when you wake up next morning your side's really like aching kind of thing but mm. it's better than having a period bed so yeah. I've learned to adapt yeah. <laughs> learned to adapt to how it is now <laughs> um, and you, that's what you do you, you realise that like, you, you can't do certain things um, like what else is there well I think like having a piggyback you can't really have a piggyback mm-hmm. because your front is on somebody's back and that kind of pushes the door in and mm. That can be quite painful if it's pushed like, against your skin. Yeah. Um, and then you then you can feel it then. Yeah. So um, whenever you, so you said that you couldn't uh, can remember last time you pooed, um, so you just can you, can you not poo out of your bum? <laughs> this is so this no. conversation's crazy. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I've got a really gross story though. Like um. So everything. So some people when they have the operation, they have their they have the colon removed. Um, maybe it's damaged or maybe it's inflamed. And, um, but because I, because mine just didn't work, it was left in there because it wasn't it wasn't really needed. So why 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 do extra surgery? Um, if something's just going to be in there and it's not going to do anything. So that was so I've had it about three years. My my daughter. and I remember like during lockdown here. Um, I got really bad stomach pain and I thought, well, that's strange. Like, like, you know when, you have, when you've got diarrhea and yeah. you need to go to the toilet? I got that and I thought, well, that's really strange because 
there's nothing coming out of my stoma and there's obviously nothing coming out back end. So what um what is this? And it took three days and then there was something in like at the back of me that goes, You need the toilet mm. and I thought, well, that's really strange. So I went to the toilet and then all this stuff sort of came out of my uh, my bum and I looked at it and thought, That looks like brain matter. It looks like bits of brain. Oh no. Seriously, I was like, am I am I sh- shitting my brain out? Is this <laughs> normal? And I said, like, what the hell do I do with this? And then, and oh my God, the smell was like a dead body. I was like, and oh I, my I Googled it. God. Yeah, I Googled it. And they said it's like the inside of your colon falling out. Oh in my a way. God, what the fuck? Seriously. And I was like, oh my God, it's not even you. It's what is this? And it was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. Like, literally looked like brain matter. And I thought, that's a long way to go from, like, what's left in there in my head. I know, oh my God. Or is it, well, no, it was my, inside of my colon. And it, it's really hard to explain to someone because they don't really understand when you don't use part of your body and something comes out of it, mm-hmm. it's really bizarre. Yeah. You can't explain it, but, um, yeah, it's not pretty. But it's kind of funny, I think. And I've never actually been able to tell that story because people just, they go green and they're running the opposite direction. <laughs> I know, and then I'm just like here. I'm so intrigued. I'm like really quiet listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's fucking crazy. I can never imagine anything like that. Like whenever I was, uh, I, I know you can't get diagnosed with IBS, but like I've, I, I definitely have had had it. Um, and whenever I went to the doctors, they give me a thing called Movicol. So I used to get like really bad. Oh God. Oh Jesus! It's oh yeah. It's insane. It's basically like taking paracetamol, like a pint glass of paracetamol. That's what t- like tastes it for me. Um, but yeah, I, I, whenever I was at university and I was working, I, I think it was just something to do with stress. Like I was putting too much stress on myself, um, and uh, like I was driving and all as well at the time. So like everything was just like um, like my tension must have been so heightened, and uh, I started like getting really like bad shits, and I was like, oh no, I'm like this isn't like normal. This isn't what it usually was like and I was thinking is it something in my diet like is it uh, something to do with what I eat um, and I had just started t- drinking coffee and I was like maybe is it the coffee so I stopped drinking coffee for like a week or two and then but it was still happening and I was just like right fuck it can't be the coffee and I was like right okay I'll go to the doctor so I went to the doctors and they were like it's symptoms of IBS and I was like right okay and he's like so you need to drink this here like once a day and I was like okay so I, I took it and then um, it actually helped a lot. Like it helped like really a lot. And I was really like thankful that he gave me it. And then he also said about peppermint as well. Apparently it, uh, it helps your bowels. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like the, the fucking, the shits that I was having beforehand, they, they were crazy. And then I've like narrowed it down to two things that I can't eat. Um, Emma, she actually got a test on, on like what triggers her bowels. Um, so she's like went off like semi skin milk. She's drinking like soy milk and all. And she actually look like she's not as bloated anymore. And um, she actually looks like really well. And um, we took a picture today just to see like what the difference looked like in like her belly because she got like really bad bloating. Um, but then she's like uh, changed her whole diet around. But the two things that stand out for me like I can't have grapes. If I have grapes, like I'm just like boo, 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 like a machine gun. Like it's oh, fucking God. horrible. And then donuts as well. But like donuts are my guilty pleasure. Like. Uh, that's like one of my favorite foods like and if I can't have like I don't like I love grapes as well like if I was going for fruit I would definitely go for grapes but like 
it's just so I, I don't know what's wrong with me like it just literally machine guns going off yeah no oh no I can totally relate to that mine's the opposite like um uh, when when you got come to Perth you got the GP and they say eat more fruit and vegetables eat a lot of fiber in your diet and it wasn't till I, I got sent to a specialist where they said you've got um an intolerance to fiber so I was eating like wheat yeah. a bit and fruit and vegetables everything that's supposed to be really good for you mm-hmm. my bowel couldn't take so now I've got the ileostomy like certain things that I still can't have like I can't have things like fibre and so I miss I miss things like Weetabix and I miss vegetables and you don't think when you're growing up like oh I hate vegetables but actually when you get to 34 and you can't have them um, it's one of those things like you know, I actually walk around the supermarket oh I'd love some uh, asparagus or I'd love some cabbage or something random yeah. like that but when it the things that come out with me but if even now if I have too much fiber I, I come out in that spot um and my hair falls out and I and I was told before all of that before the diagnosis that um I, I had alopecia right it was, it was the climate I really didn't know that the climate could make your hair fall out and people look at my skin and they'd say oh it's your age I'm like well I'm 36 now I keep my age be kind of leaving the adolescent spot behind not getting more mm. and it was because of my diet it was because my bowel couldn't deal with kind of getting rid of all the fiber so it came out in different ways it came out through my skin it came out through my hair and you kind of you get to a point where you go okay i can't have all of these things like, but what's better do you want falling out hair and shit skin or do you want to be able to feel like an, feel like a, an ileostomy person and not eat the fiber, not eat wheat a bit, because I can give that up. It's not really a problem. But you do kind of crave things that you yeah. can't have, don't you? I mean, you'll know what that's like when you walk past the grapes and then you in the supermarket, you like, really love those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, do you like have a very strict <laughs> diet then? Um, not necessarily. It's, it's not it's not too bad, but I just have to be aware of like, I can't have um, skin on things, so I can't have potato skin uh, or like with grapes. I love grapes, but um, I have to peel them, and that's in, that's a ball egg. That's really annoying. Mm. So I, I kind of skip the grapes, but I, I can have it inside, but I can't have the skin because there's too much fiber in it. So sometimes it, the fiber will it'll affect the ball in such a way that my hair will fall out, but it also um, creates a lot of pain because your bowel, your um, your intestines are still trying to get that food through, and if it doesn't like what it what it's got in there then it comes out in bloat, you know, it comes out in um, like a stabbing pain sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got rid of all my bloating from when I had, before I had this really Um So it's not like, I, I used to look like I was pregnant, like nine months pregnant when I had um, my stomach was bloat. And it's uncomfortable. Um, you don't know what that's like, and everyone will know what that's like. Mm-hmm. But, so I just make sure I know what I'm eating and I make sure that if there is anything, like apple skin or yeah see that's good that like obviously the bigger like uh, foods you can obviously peel them but like i'll be shit like about like the smaller sort of stuff that you would need to you would need to worry about yeah so what about like bread is bread okay bread's fine as long as it's not brown which mm. wasn't a problem for me but like i'm a bit of a white bread person so it wasn't really an issue yeah so it's mostly like the whole grain sort of stuff as well isn't it yeah, whole grain and um, seeds, uh, so you can't have like seeded bread. Um, and sesame seeds, 
and they're they're a no go. Um, not they're not great. They're not great either. Mm. Um, yeah, anything that if you walk into Holland and Barra at health food shop, there's pretty much nothing that you can have because it's also a fibre it's all extra healthy. And it doesn't the bowel won't digest some of it because it either gets it through, <laughs> so it kind of comes out like it went in. <laughs> um, which is but yeah. So um, like pine nuts, you know, I have pine nuts are really expensive. Yeah. So I make pesto and then I put pine nuts on top of it. And if I don't chew it properly, which is another thing you better do, if I don't chew it, then um, it kind of comes out the way it went in. And then like, I have to say that I've thought, like, if I wash these pine nuts and I still eat them, I've never done it. I've never eaten them, I swear. But you know, when like something comes out, it's really expensive. Can I use it again? Oh my God. <laughs> have you ever? <laughs> That's exactly this is my next question I was gonna ask you. Have you tested it? Have you like tested like anything weird? Like like a piece of Lego or something or like I know you don't want to swallow a no, piece of Lego. But you know what I mean? No, do you know do you know I think the only thing that I can think of in that way is like sweet corn. So sweet corn in general takes a while to come out and it doesn't really get digested by about anyway. So when you pay with dinner, you can see it in there. Mm-hmm. But when you have, I can't have sweet corn at all, but before I had it, prior to the, um, the operation, it would take three or four days to come out. How long? So, um, me and my friend had a sweet, had, yeah, yeah, seriously. So um, we'd have sweet corn for tea, and then um, then about three or four days it would come out, and I'd bring my friend up and thought, what day was it that we had sweet corn? <laughs> when did we, she was like, yeah, it was about a week ago. So, um, and then, um, when I had the early after we done, I thought, well, you've got to test out what you can and can't eat. So I tested out the sweet corn. And it was more or less the same. It came out two days later. And that's with a nearly often. Like, normally your food comes out two hours later, if not before. So you kind of know that certain things you can't eat. Like, sweet corn is definitely a no-go. But um, I haven't really, not really tested anything out. Although when I was having my test in the hospital, they gave you, like, this uh, little, little pot. And it had a hundred teeny weeny plastic things in it. Mm-hmm. So you had to swallow that and then um then they would see how long it took for the things to go through. No so way. So you take it on one day. Sorry. I just said no way, that's so crazy, that's how they test it. Oh yeah. Yeah, so they um they do that, so you swallow them and then the next day you have um, an X ray. And on the x-ray, you can see all the little plastic things and mm. see how far they're traveling and see how quick they're traveling. Um, and I went to um hospital in Withenshaw in the northwest, and um, they do all sorts of weird tests. They have a specialist bowel unit, so I had the most ridiculous test done um, that I've ever experienced in my life, um, where they put they put balloons up your bum to see how your um, how, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like a fucking uh, ping pong show in Thailand. There were two, two really good-looking guys doing it. <laughs> oh, kill me now! Just let me die now! It's awful. And then, like, you can't control your um, bodily functions, so I died, and it was it was just not not. And did the at all. sorry? Did the but balloon it, fill up? Uh, well, that was the thing because my cause my uh, my bum had no um, muscles, and muscles had gone. Oh. It had been so like it was so bad. So they put the balloon up. And then it'll pop out again. Let's put it. Uh, it was just mostly, but they did it three or four times. We are like, we, we've been oh thinking God, like it's so it. like bizarre. We're like, why did they need to do this? 
Jesus Christ, you're probably on some fucking show in Russia somewhere. <laughs> probably not letting cameras. Yeah. <laughs> so, how does your uh, husband, um, does he, like, obviously, he obviously loves you and stuff like that, but um, did he, like, find it weird whenever you started getting the bag or anything like that, or? No, like, there's one, one good thing about Matt, well, not one, there's a few, but um, <laughs> he... He's very accepting of everything. Um, like when I met him, I already had bipolar, mm-hmm. um, so he knew about that, um, and he was very accepting of it. It didn't really make a difference to him. Yeah. And then when I had the the operation, it was but before I had it, we had to kind of feel like this is the only option now. This is you know in order to get a life back, this is what I have to have. Um, and I remember going to see the film in it, and they kind of run through everything that's going on and they, they show you all the apparatus that you could use. And I remember the nurse showing me the bag and I thought, oh, that's massive. Where, where am I supposed to hide that? Um, so I remember coming home and saying to Matt, that's huge and I don't really know what it'll be like. And the, he said, like, we, we have we have absolutely no money whatsoever, but we're quite poor. Um, but he said, if... Um, if we can find smaller ones and that's what you want, we'll, we'll find the money and we'll pay for them. So he was straight away thought, okay, so she's got bipolar, she's having a stoma. It, it doesn't really matter. He always sees me as a person and not the stuff that I've got. Yeah. Um, and because I'm so open about it as well, so is he. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that you couldn't really ask for more than that. Because I know of some people who've had some. Um, and there was a lady in particular, she had hers for about 15 years. And her husband doesn't want even look at the bag. Like she has to cover the whole thing up because oh, he's no. Exactly, and I just thought if if that was Matt, then I'd be absolutely devastated. I don't think yeah. that we could have a life together if he didn't accept the things that we that I've got. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. I, like if that, if I ever happened to like Emma, or, or I know if it happened to me, like we would just like. Obviously, like nothing like that's ever happened to us, but, but I'm sure probably in the future something is going to challenge us. But then, um, yeah, like if that ever happened, like we would just like you just take it as it is and you try and make a laugh of it and try and just get on with it because that's all you could do, really, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, and I think that um, our sense of humour, because I mean, he's always farting and burping, stuff, <laughs> so he's got no depression whatsoever. He's worse than me. Um, but I think that's what you do. You both. You've got to make light of it. Yeah. There's a lot of serious things in life. And when and if there's a problem with it, then it's serious. If there's a problem with the bipolar, it's serious. But aside from that, if you can find humour in life, then it, it makes life a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. Uh, so that's why having a character and having and naming it Wilhelmina makes a lot of difference because you're giving it that personality, you're giving it, you're controlling it rather than letting this piece of your intestine that's no that people view as disgusting and you make it home. But you're making making awareness of it and you're saying, actually, yes, I've got the situation, but I'm not going to let it control me. I'm not going to let it beat me in a negative way. Yeah. I always try and do that with anything that I've got with the bipolar. I don't like um, it being me being controlled by it. I like to say, well, do you know what? This is the situation. I'm just going to get on with it. Because I think that's all you can do in life. You haven't got a choice with anything. If anything um, is, is bad in your life, you've got two choices to say, okay, I give up, not there, and then you crumble and die, or 
you take control of it and you say, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to live my life and it makes life a lot more simple than, than having something rule you that you can't control. Yeah, no, I totally 100% agree. Um, I, I came through like, I've came through like loads of adversities and, well, not loads, but like, my, my childhood was very, like, it was good. Like, it came up in the two-parent household, which was great. Um, we were sort of, like, lower class, and then um, my dad got a better job, so it meant that we uh, sort of moved up the pecking order into, like, middle class. And then we weren't, like, rich or anything, but, like, we, like, there was, like, some disposable income there if we wanted to do something. Um, but, yeah, whenever I, uh, like, grew up... Um, there were some small adversities, but the one that I can remember most recently was probably, um, I was uh, training and I broke my I broke my leg. I think I broke my leg. It wasn't diagnosed, but I definitely broke it. So I feel like there's two bones in your legs. Uh, one's the I think it's the tibia and the uh, fibular, and the fibular is the one where there's no weight bearing on it. So like you could just like you could break it and you could just like walk about like obviously it would be painful but like you could still walk on it and I feel like I broke it um, and it was just from something stupid I, I like went to kick and I landed back down and like I just felt like something like pop and I was just like fuck this is weird um, so I went to the hospital and uh, they like wouldn't give me an x-ray for some reason and I was just like no like this is really sore and they were like okay we'll make you feel better if we put you in a boot and I was just like okay so they gave me like do you know those like big space boots yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, those like those massive ones. Yeah, yeah they're like huge. So, like I was walking about with this big massive boot on, and like they give me crutches, and I fucking hate crutches. Like they are the worst pain ever <laughs> in your armpit area. So sore. And um, I didn't realize like there's a certain way you have to like uh, use them, and I was like doing it completely different. So I had like these big massive red marks on my tits, and it was so sore. It was really unbearable. And um, were those horrible wooden ones that like? Like it having like the 1920s or something they would put under your outfit. Yeah, yeah, it's basically those ones, only they weren't wooden, they were metal, so it was very, very harder. <laughs> but it was like... It yeah, it was so <laughs> annoying. And I tried to get like sponges like wrap around them and all, and it just didn't work. So I was just like, right, you know what, fuck these, I'm not wearing them. Or I'm not using them. So I didn't uh, use them. But like, I had to like travel into work every day. And like, whenever I was like using the crutches, like for the first week, like, it was so hard, like, trying to, like, manoeuvre and get past people. And then uh, it was good, though, because people kept on giving me the disabled seats, which was great. And um, people felt sorry for me. So that was pretty... I loved the attention there. Um, but, like, it was just so stupid. Like, I was, like... There were so many, like, things in my life that I was just, like, fuck, I really need to take... Like, I take, like, so much things for granted. And, like, it's weird whenever you go through adversity and, you like, you start to notice, like, all those little small things that you take for granted and back i know that's that this is very minuscule compared to obviously what you went for you went for your medical procedure and stuff like that so but um it's good sort of to have like those small like two cents and just to sort of tell you yeah do you know what i don't i don't think people should downplay like i wouldn't downplay what you had because it you know i i i've never had crutches but I remember being at school and people um, coming in with crutches because they brought their toe off and things. Yeah. And I remember my friend doing it, and I always wanted crutches just to see what it was like. And then <laughs> I remember I saw to try them out. I remember we were in like, this math, math room because we, we were like um, the favourites of the math teacher, so we let us have his room at lunchtime. So I went in and I thought, oh, can I have crutches? So I was like playing with the crutches thinking, this is actually really difficult. Mm-hmm. This is really hard and I cannot, I cannot imagine 
walking through these school corridors, you know what everyone's doing, like yeah. from all these directions, running and what have you. But I, I can't, I can't be doing with that. No, I'm all right, thanks. You can have your crutches back. Yeah. And I think like whatever you go through in life, if it's difficult, then it's difficult. Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. So if you some my um some Matt house, what does he have? He gets he gets a bit bloated every now and again, or he gets um oh no no. no. During lockdown, he found like a lump on his head. Oh, shit. And then, obviously, like, yeah, we, so he said, just have a look at this. It's a lump on the head. There was a bit of a lump on his head. We've got on the outside. So the automatic thing is you've got cancer, you've got, you've got yeah, a brain tumor, exactly. you're going to die. But it turned out to just be like um, a little cyst that went away in about three, four days before he could even go to the doctors. But in that moment, no matter what it is, you think, you automatically think the worst. Yeah. So my mum had an... Um, a camera down the, the throat a few weeks ago and for about two weeks before she had it she had cancer she was going to die and I think and it turned out to be she's got um, inflammation on her on her stomach and uh, acid reflux so it can be controlled but whatever you have whether it's like a broken toe or a broken nail mm-hmm. it, if it's difficult then it, it really is difficult you find that difficult and I don't think any of the adults don't play the situation. <laughs> okay, cool. It's all good. You can have a winch. <laughs> yeah, you can have a winch. You can bask in the winch. Yes. You can have a winch. <laughs> the worst one I had though was uh, I broke my uh, finger and uh, it was it was so crap. Like small things like uh, getting a shower. Like I had to make sure that there was like a plastic bag and I had it over my head and I was just like washing with one hand. Yeah. Like, things like that. Like it's just so <laughs> so annoying. I hate that. Or like if you're wearing a cast, like oh, it's it's not good. Um. Yeah, I feel like we should stop with a poo talk. Um, how long have we been talking about poo? Forty minutes. Some poo, probably. Okay. Well, just, uh, just before though, before we move on, like I've never actually had a conversation like this in that much depth about my poo. So, like when I do my public speaking, it's mostly bipolar related. Well, it's ninety nine percent bipolar related, so it's kind of refreshing to be able to talk forty five minutes about my bowel movements. That's on it. No, I fucking I, I love it. Like um, I, I love talking about shit, and um, hence why the podcast called Shit Talk. <laughs> yeah. But this yeah. is this I is. I live up to its name then. Exactly. Like this is gonna be like the po- you're gonna be the poster for Shit Talk and Panther. <laughs> um, yeah. So you've been touching on it a few times. Um, you're bipolar. So and you're very open about that because of uh, obviously whenever I added you on Instagram. Uh, I had a browse for your Instagram, which loads of people do, but they never admit it. So I, I went straight down to the bottom. Oh. <laughs> okay. Um, there's, not much, there's nothing much exciting on that one. <laughs> no, don't lie. There's like uh, 2K13 pictures with like uh, your shutters on and then you're like putting up like a uh, peace sign. And... <laughs> that <was laughs> I don't remember that one. <laughs> That's what you usually see whenever you're, like, you're scrolling on Instagram and you go down, like you're just like... <laughs> creeping on someone you go down to the very bottom of your page you just see all these like embarrassing photos like I have so many <laughs> like I like I took so many I know I'm going off on topic here but um, I, there's so many like stupid photos that I've got on Instagram like I, I've got one of like like a pair of clothes or like like just like even like it's a nice like scenery but this the picture that I took shit and I thought that it was good at the time and I'm just like oh my god this is so <laughs> embarrassing but like I don't want to delete it because that's who it was so I'll just leave it like that yeah <laughs> but do you find no, that on mine I've got um, a picture of a little spider that somebody drew at work and it says it's got a tiny spider and 
and it has a little holding a little sign up that says, Do you know where my mum is? And I thought when I found it, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. So I put it on Instagram and it got like two likes. So maybe it's not that cool then. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny though, and it's so true. Something that like you love and you find so interesting and you're like oh like I take a lot of pride in that I'm gonna put that up online and like I'm sure other people will find it amazing and then whenever it only gets like one or two likes you're just like oh fuck I fucked up <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes when I put it on Facebook and if it doesn't get three or four likes in the first ten minutes I just take it down do you actually see I don't even <laughs> use Facebook what, what's Facebook like now is it still like uh, people putting up pictures of their babies and uh, putting fucking yeah. pictures up of their dead grandparents and yeah. stuff like that. I don't like that shit. Yeah, basically. Like, it's what, 2nd of September, isn't it? So, um, there's a million pictures of people with the kids going to um, first day at school. So, that's um, right. Fuck, yeah, that's right. I, oh, yeah, I've actually seen some people doing that on Instagram as well. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't mind that, but there's, like, some people who, like... Like, I remember whenever I had Facebook, there was loads of people who like, just kept on pulling up the same shit, like, all the time, like, about their kids, and I'm just like, see, if I had kids, like, see, to be honest, I wouldn't be putting up online all the time, because, you know, where the fuck those pictures are going to be going, and, like, I've watched, like, documentaries on yeah, the dark web it. and all, it's so easy just to pick someone's uh, photographs of their kids, like, I know we all slobbered about Michael Jackson covering his fucking kids' faces, but I think that's probably the way to go. <laughs> no, you know what, I think it's later on in life, when you see someone do something like that, you think, oh my god, what's he doing, that's insane. But um, you kind of get, I think, as you get older and you see what kind of shit is out there, mm-hmm. you 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 have to act accordingly and you have to take things into into perspective, don't you? Because there's so many people on Facebook today, kids in uniform, and they're really small kids, and you just think, you know, if your priority settings aren't right, then God knows who can look at this. Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, there's two like ways to look at it as well. So like, I understand that like if people have children, like. Um, that's their whole world and like they take like so much pride in that and like that's their bundle of joy or whatever and like they obviously want to like share it with people because whenever you have something happy you want to share it with people and like I, yeah. I get that but like there's the other side and the people don't want to listen to the other side and the other side is that the internet's fucking dangerous and anything you put up there can stay up there and people don't people don't realize that like anything you put up there no. is always going to be there and like no matter if you don't look at it like someone else is definitely looking at it yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and I don't, in that moment, when my proud parent is kind of coming out, they don't think about those things. All they yeah. want to do is show the world that the kids got going to school. Yeah. And I get that, but you kind of have to, these days, you kind of have to be a little bit more aware of what's going on and what you're putting out there. Yeah, 100%. There's a, uh, I went down a rabbit hole one night on uh, YouTube. I was uh, watching, whereabouts are you from, sorry, in England? Bolton in uh, near Manchester. But did you say Bolton? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, I've got family from Chester. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they're not not that far away from you. Um, I fucking love Peter K. Do you like Peter K? Yeah. He's from Bolton, <laughs> yeah. isn't he? He's like a national treasure here. <laughs> Do you have a statue of him? <laughs> Um, he's a uh, he. He's fucking brilliant. I love him. He's probably one of my favorite comedians after uh, after Ricky Gervais. But uh, yeah, fuck it. I went off on tangent there again. Um, yeah, there's. <laughs> I was going down a rabbit hole night on YouTube, and um, there's these guys who catch uh, like pedophiles. 
So I, I don't know what they're called, but they they operate in England, like they're all English, and uh, they sort of, they sort of have like a, a. I don't know if they if they're from Yorkshire or if they're from Manchester because I'm really shit at like describing like um, English accents. Like I'll know like fucking I'll know like some Manchester <laughs> accents. I'll know like Liverpool accent and like London accent, but like sort of like everywhere else is like in between. Ah, uh, you know, like the Newcastle accent, like the town side. Um, but yeah, they were they were like showing like how easy it is to like get trapped by like a predator. So like they were pretending obviously to be kids, but like they're going out trying to be like vigilantes and like take down these people. Um, but they'll like pretend to be a kid, and like it's just so easy. Like whenever you think about it, like they probably that's probably actually going on. Like that their pedophile who got caught has probably done it so many times before to different like children and then they get caught this year one time with a fake kid which is good but it's just so simple for someone to to look at a picture and then just be like okay well, I'm going to be more inquisitive of this and then like they'll have that dirty mind and they'll just go straight in for the kill and they'll try and like manipulate like a young girl or boy and it's a uh, it's fucking crazy like, I just I don't know. I think people need to be more careful of what they do online, 100%. Um, yeah. You don't have any kids, do you? I've seen... No. Um, I've seen documentaries like that, though. Yeah. And you, they, where the police show you how easy it is, and they kind of, like... It's, it's, I think there's a documentary about To Catch a Predator. Yeah, yeah, um, it's good. It's, yeah, is that the one? If they show that kind of thing, um, and how easy it is, and how doable it is, and how many people are actually doing those things yeah. as well. There's an American one as well, but I've seen bits on YouTube of it, where this guy, they set this whole thing up, they get an actor um, to pose as a, as a kid, mm-hmm. and then they kind of, like, they get this, whoever it is that's kind of found them on the internet, they build up some sort of relationship and they come to the door, yeah. and come to the house and that they're there to kind of watch movies or something, um, or something dodgy anyway, and then ten. 20 seconds into this conversation, the guy hosting the show comes in. That's it. And then he says, all right, so what, what are you here for then? Yeah. Oh, video, video game. So you're a 37-year-old man come to play video games with a 12-year-old boy. I fucked this yeah. up. That's, yeah. So that's it. Yeah. That's how to catch a predator. And that's your guy. His name's called, the host of that show's uh, called Chris Hansen. And he's like... Uh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And he just comes out. That's he like stages it on. He's like... Oh, so you, you came to just uh, chill with a 10-year-old boy. So what's in the bag? And then he's like, nothing's in the bag. And then he'll go over, open the bag, and he's like, why have you got beer? Why have you got condoms? And he's yeah. just like, oh, you're using that to fucking play video games? Because I play video games and I don't have condoms. and fuck. Well, I do have drink, but I don't have condoms out with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. So like, how can you get away with this? How do you think you can get away with this? It's really not. It's not looking good, but you are you're in the room yeah. with a kid. And a bag of beer, not looking good. It's not looking good. It's fucked. It's like, I'm like, there's sometimes when you feel like, I, like, there's a lot of people that I know that will um, disagree with me on this here point, but sometimes I feel sorry for, like, I feel sorry for them. And I know people, like, are like, no, you shouldn't have empathy for pedophiles, but I'm like, but I do, like, there must be something so fucked up that has happened to them that they've resorted to that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's difficult because you 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 feel disgusted by what they do. Mm-hmm. But I've seen 
you know, TV shows and documentaries about it. And um, I said, like, I watch this stuff all the time. I don't. But, um, I'm not gonna lie. Sorry, just to stop you. I'm not gonna lie. I love yeah. like documentaries about kids going missing or something. Like it's just the most interesting. Oh, Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like I, I don't yeah. care if that sounds diggy. Like it's the most interesting story. But like obviously it's great whenever the kids are fine. Like that's what I'm. That's what you're always hoping for. You're always hoping for that to happen. But then whenever it doesn't happen, like you feel um sad. But um it always makes the most interesting story. That's weird. Um but sorry, yeah. I just wanted to add that in. Not <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're fucking, we're talking. Who and pedophiles? I know, this is get off the great start, isn't it? And now we're going to go into, uh, we're going to go into mental health. So, uh, yeah, it's really good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, you, when did you, obviously you have a bipolar and you're very open about it and it was great looking for your Instagram and seeing um, how you've like spoke to people and all about like your bipolar. Uh, would you call it a disorder or what would you call it? And that's the title, isn't it? Yeah. Um, the Americans are calling it um, a brain. Oh, they're calling it brain something. Oh, it's a brain disease. I prefer disorder for disease. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's, it is difficult because, I mean, no matter what you call it, it's still got those things about it that people don't like. Those, and they bring up false assumptions and they, they never really know what it actually is. They either downplay it or they think it's something so serious that you actually be a murderer and kill people. Um like when you say mental illness, it doesn't it doesn't bring the most positive of ideas forward. Mm. It, it's like it's an attack on your personality or it's an attack on the way you live your life. And actually it's when we bipolar it's it's more of a chemical imbalance than anything else. And um, so it's not quite the same thing. I mean, Mental illness is mental illness, depression, stress, anything. I view that all on the same playing field, they're on the same level. Um, but yeah, it's not got mental illness in, in as a whole. It's not got great reputation. Yeah, uh, that's so true. Um, me and I'm more talking about this. I feel like uh, like movies and stuff like really don't help the situation as well. So like if you like see like mm. the likes of like Shutter Island and shit like that there. Like it did like it happened. Like obviously it happened. It's good to like learn about like history of way like the mental health system was back in like the um uh the early nineteen hundreds and obviously back, further back. Um but yeah, it's uh it's it's so weird, like 'cause there's some people that like would have so for an example, um, whenever I was younger, I always thought, thought like Tourette's syndrome was like a really bad thing to have because people were cursing and swearing. And like whenever I was little, obviously like you're told that they're naughty words. Um, but then like whenever you get older and then you find out more about like Tourette's syndrome um, and like people are like, just, like they just have to get out of their system. They have to like say what's on their mind or and they have that tick to um, say like those dirty words. Um, you don't really you don't think of it in that way anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah no, I totally get that. Yeah. I, when I was um, diagnosed back in probably 2003, it was not the worst thing to happen, but it was something that I couldn't tell people. Uh, and I, I went through a lot of my life not telling people what it was, what I had, and I would hide it. And then when I got to, I think it's, as soon as you hit 30, I think I was, I think I was 32, um, or 30, yeah, about 32, and then I realised that people were still getting it wrong and still assuming things wrong, and I thought, I, I either need to carry on the way I'm doing and not acknowledge it, 
uh, and hide it or I tell the world that they're wrong and I set the record straight or try to set the record straight. So that's when I kind of started the public speaking. Um, but it was also, I had to, before, before I kind of started that, I had to accept the fact that I had an illness and it wasn't going to go away. And I had to manage it rather than rather than hide it and think if I if I hide it then no one will see it and I can ha- I can live life like a normal person and it's, when you've got a mental health condition or a physical condition you, you can't let you, you can't really live like a normal person you've got to adapt your life to it but then again take control of it so I I was kind of living where I'd go I'd go to work and then I'd go out after work and now I'd I'd, I'd I'd drink or I would have I'd have fun and and less sleep and when you're bipolar you need a, not a lot but you need enough sleep to make sure that the um, chemicals in your brain are balanced so I had to realise that actually I can't do all those things normal people do so I stopped drinking and I stopped kind of not partying as such but kind of living like too much in a, in a way mm-hmm. um, and I just made adjustments to life to make sure that I could still have a life but at the same time have a healthy life and that, and that knowledge that while I had this condition there were still ways of controlling it, um, as well as taking medicines, as well as kind of therapy and stuff. You've just got to adjust things to make sure that you're still getting alive, but you're still, you're still looking after yourself at the same time. So were you 15, 16 then, whenever you... Um, I was doing the maths in my head when you were speaking. It, was it like 16, 17 then, whenever you got um, diagnosed with bipolar? Yeah. No, I was um, 21, I think. Oh shit, I'm so bad at maths. <laughs> no, that's not mine. Like, um, no, I was very 21. Um, but I've been having problems for about two years before I got diagnosed. Initially, it was diagnosed depression because um, the, the highs weren't really there. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of depression. But then, as the kind of the two years went on before I got fully diagnosed, I was having highs and I kind of I was at uni at the time and I would go out and I would, I would party like the rest of them. Um, and then I and when at once I had a drink as well that fueled the bipolar high, so it'd be even more high, and I and I wouldn't need sleep. And I would, I did one of my exams in my third year, um, having not had any sleep for three days. Uh, and how I got through my degree, I have no idea. I mean, I mean, my degree took me six years instead of three because I had to defer twice because the bipolar was, was kind of making itself known, and uh, it was just, it was a nightmare because. I, wouldn't, I didn't know what to do with it. I was taking meds and none of it was really working out. And I realised that this, this isn't going well, so I deferred. And then I went back a year later. And then about three months again, I got another bipolar episode that I couldn't control. So I went into hospital six, six times over the course of about 12 years. Um, and that's sort of a whole different experience. Um, psychiatric was in Bolton. Not the best environment to be in. Yeah. Um, especially if you're like if you're young and you see a lot of stuff you've never seen before and experienced, you know, stuff you've never experienced before and but also not being fully there in your mind to kind of do, to kind of digest it all and it and take control of it, I guess. Yeah. So I was in like a few times nearly section twice, I was given a choice. But it's like if you if you either stay in, so I'm trying to get out stay in or um, with section you or you, you stay in um, and by voluntary as a voluntary patient and then you can get out a lot quicker with the section year you're in there a lot longer and it's tribunals and fighting your case and stuff so I, I had enough insight in my brain 
to know that the intersection was not what I needed, not what I wanted. So I had to kind of make, <laughs> I keep saying it, take control again. Like, so you, when you're in hospital, you have no control whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You are told when to eat, you're only told when to, when you sleep, and you're told when, when you can have a cup of tea even. You can't just go and get a cup of tea. They bring them out on a trolley at certain times. So it's all very regimented and all very controlled. And staff aren't great. And um, your, your psychiatrists have absolutely no idea what goes on in the ward. They must think it's some sort of like safe haven and some sort of prior situation. But it's not. It, it, people always compare it to one throw over the coffee's nest. And it's it more or less like that. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, um, but really it's good. better. But it's literally like that. Um, you're not in straitjackets, but if you if you play up, then you're and you you're not calming down. They they kind of flatten you to the floor and they inject you with a sedative mm. to make sure you're quiet. And um, and it's you know I've seen people kind of slit the wrist and the ward and try to hang themselves and then they're on 24 hour observation and it's the sort of thing that you you sit but you can't explain to anybody else what's going on because they're not in it. You only get like a 90 minute visit every day from your family um, and if they come early they're turned away. So you're it's very much like a prison only you've done nothing wrong. You're just, you're just not very well but yeah. you're treated like a prisoner in a, in a way. So was your, so whenever you, there's so many fucking questions going through my head that's so interesting. Um, so <laughs> so um, did you go for the voluntary one then obviously I did yeah I was, um, yeah there was the, the first four admissions was all kind of voluntary I knew what was going on the sec- the, the last two I was I was completely off the wall I um, I got this idea into my head that I could save the world and I was working a full time job commuting to Manchester so it was like a 12 hour day and Somehow, I, I got into my head that I was going to save the world. I don't know how it happened, but it just then came to me. So while on my lunch break, I would write down exactly how I was going to save the world. And then um, one particular day when I was at work, the, the receptionist rang me from a psychiatrist and she said, oh, we've got an appointment today, we'll see you. So I was like, okay, fair enough. Went, went got out of work, went to the hospital with my mum. Went into the uh, the room with the psychiatrist. I was in. I was talking to him for at least two minutes. And he was like, "Yeah, we're going to admit you." Um, so I was like, "Okay, I'll just I'll just have I'll just go in for a, a couple of days and then see what happens." And then a couple of days later, um, I said, "Right, we're going to go now. I'm better now." And he said, "No, if you leave, we're going to section you, and it would be um, a 24 hour section." And I was like, mm, "Don't really want that on my record." So okay, we'll, we'll stay a bit longer. And I was in eight weeks. But that was the point where I wasn't really dealing with the bipolar. I was still trying to hide it. So that was about 2009. And then 2011, um, I did it again. I don't actually know what I did. I had an episode appeared. And again, I thought I could save the world. And I went to my GP and she said, oh, I think we need to um, bring the crisis team. So I don't know if you know anything about the crisis team. It's you, they're contacted by a GP. They assess what you're like and then they do a program of, of treatment for you. So they either have visits or they're going to be going to hospital. So it was like a Thursday, and then she said, oh, on Friday, I'll ring them Friday morning. So I'm waiting all day for this, this phone call and I never got one. So mum came home from work and she um, she just could see that there was something that there was something really bad wrong. So she rang my, my psychiatrist secretary and uh, this was like five o'clock at night. 
and she said, oh, Dr. Miller's here. Let me just have a word with him. So he so she came, so he came on the phone, and I'd never spoken to him on the phone. I'd only ever seen him in, um, in surgery in the clinic. And then he, he talked to me for 30 seconds, and I said, I've got special powers, and I need to save the world. Uh, and the crisis team was going to stop me. And he said, you think you've got special powers? And I went, yeah, I've definitely got special powers. I'm going to be the savior of the universe. So he said, I can't see you until Monday because it's Friday. So I want to go to um, Amy. I'm going to send someone from the crisis team to meet you there. Um, and then we'll see what, what's going on. So I went to Amy. And when you're, when you're checking yourself into A&E, if you're a psychiatric patient, they um, put you in a room. So it's like a, it's the room with four walls. But all that's in there is a plastic chair and a sink. But they've removed the sink because that apparently is a danger um, for either you or somebody else. I'm not quite sure. But they removed the sink and they put the plastic chair in. So I was in the room with the plastic chair and then the guy from the crisis team comes down and he sits on the floor and he's asking me all these questions and I'm telling him I'm going to save the world. And he says, how, um, how much sleep have you got the last few nights? So I haven't had any. Um, so he says, okay, so what do you think about coming into, um, into hospital? And I was like, oh, no, I don't need that. Why don't you need that? And I said, because my grandma looked after me. He says, what do you mean? And I said, my grandma sits on, the, sits on my bed and makes, and makes sure I'm all right at night. But my grandma had been dead for 12 years. So... That obviously wasn't a good sign. So he said, right, let's have you in for a couple of days, get some sleep, and then we'll, then you can go on Monday. So I went in, and then on Monday, the like my psychiatrist sent his, um, kind of, they're called SHOs, like senior house officers, like, like um, a sidekick, I guess. So she, he sent her, and I'd written down on the, on like 5A5 pieces of paper, um, five diagrams of, um, how the world works and what it meatloaf lyrics to, yeah. to kind of back up what I was saying. Um, uh, music is a big part of my life. I'm not musical in any way, but I have a, a big like fascination with music, yeah. and uh, and a lot of my kind of passions about music relate to my bipolar as well. So like, it's kind of been born out of um, the disorder, I guess. And um, and I ended up being in there for like six to eight weeks. And I remember saying to my psychiatrist. Um, when I, you have like a weekly review, and I said, right, I want to, um, I want to go now, I want to go home. And he said, why? And I said, well, I said, I'm needed. I'm needed somewhere else. Where are you needed? And I said, oh, needed in the world. And he said, listen, I don't want, I don't want to section you, but if I have, if I have to, I will. And I thought, right, okay, this isn't exactly what I need. And then he said, it would be a section three, which is the worst one I guess you can have. So it's an automatic six month day or something along that line. Um, and then he could be in there for up to 12 months, if not longer. So I opted for the voluntary patient again, which I guess is good because in your head, in my head, I had still that 1% insight where I could still kind of take back what I needed and not and have, and not be in there for as long as they were saying. So that's kind of good. But the rest of it, not, it's not great, is it? Yeah, so... Um... Fucking hell, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, sort of lost in the story of it. It was like a fucking J.K. Rowling book. Um, <laughs> but I'm just aware that I might be talking a little bit too much. No, it's up. okay. I'm no, talking too much to say. No, no, no. It's fine. I, I like when I like that. That's the whole point. Like, I want to give people a voice, and like they can talk as long as they want. Like, that's why I don't have any like time restrictions or anything. Um, 
But yeah, that's a uh, that's fucking. I don't know why I keep on saying crazy and insane. Like, there's no puns in ten. But like, so like, did you like? I want to sort of grasp like what you were feeling. So you said that you had a superpower and you felt like you had to save the world. And then whenever you were in there, you said that like you needed to be somewhere else. Obviously, like you were trying to say that you wanted to save the world somewhere else. And um, like, how strong was like your feelings? Like, did you feel like you had this like? desire like did you feel like something like your body was like pushing you to like go and like you didn't know what it was but you just like knew in your head that you had to save the world yeah i guess yeah exactly and it's looking back like you looking back as a healthy person now you look back and you think oh that that is insane what i was thinking i was i was relating um i was quoting josh robin lyrics i was i was looking i had like a portable radio on my earphones and i I wasn't allowed to have my iPhone on my phone in there. Like everything is taken away from you. Really, you don't have any money, you don't have your phone, you don't have um, anything that is worth anything in there. Mm-hmm. So I, I had, um, the only thing I had was a little portable radio. And because I didn't have my iPod, which I rely and still rely a lot on, I um, I would search for songs on five different radio stations that would um, give me some looking for messages in the music so that it would give me validation of what I was supposed to do as this savior of the universe and I I wholeheartedly fully believed that that was my purpose um, and it, I think it, I think it stems from being a 10 year old brownie and I always tell the story in my, in my talk and I would say that um, when I was a brownie you were told to help other people and you, we were given a project and there were three of us doing this project and you had to pick a part of the world where you wanted to, to help them with something so we picked Ethiopia back in like the 90s and the massive um, food famine and uh, mm. food like, shortage and it was all over the news everywhere so we we decided that um, that's what we were going to concentrate on and I remember going home from Brownies and said to my mum why isn't the queen the richest woman in, in the country why isn't the queen helping more people in Ethiopia so mum said um, why don't you write to her and ask her so um, I did um, and you know she now knows not to, not to kind of humour my uh, my passions. So I wrote to the Queen and I got I said like no you're the richest lady in the country why are you not helping the damn children? And she not she didn't write back but a lady in waiting wrote back and um, said oh, the Queen's very busy and she shared your concern. And um, but what we suggest is that you go to um, Oxfam and you volunteer and that way you'll be helping the people in Ethiopia. So I went to Oxfam. And uh, at 10 years old, and said, I want to help people in Ethiopia. And the woman was like, I'm not only 16, she's not old enough yet. Oh. Um, and then I buried it, exactly. I shattered the dreams of a child. So I buried the whole thing. And I think maybe that wanting to help someone, that wanting to change a part of the world that I couldn't um, that I couldn't change, that I wasn't allowed to change, maybe that was a sort of seed in my brain that when I hit bipolar stage it grew um, and that's the only thing I could think of but I think maybe the passion that I had when I was younger because I wasn't allowed to express that it came out through the bipolar and it came out bigger and I fully believed that that was what I had to do um, and it's kind of a recurring thing as well uh, so like if I have that not down days if I have any kind of days where I don't sleep enough for a few days and the bipolar kind of creeps in a little bit and I can see most of um, these days and I can always tell if I'm searching for something, if I'm looking for meaning in lyrics or I'm looking for meaning in 
something that a piece of writing or something then that, that will that will kind of creep in and I kind of have to I always say rein it in because I can take the control then but um if it gets to a part where I'm losing that control and losing that self-awareness then that's when the problem kind of becomes a little bit bigger if that makes sense so do you like would a is there any particular songs that would like trigger your bipolar uh not necessarily. It's it's really weird. Um, my, a, a few of my friends who who've got it as well. They have um, they know when they're going high because they have a particular. Like, a friend like the um, cat doll. So when she, if he finds he's listening to the cat doll, he knows it's going up. If he's listening, I can't remember what his song was for going down. If he realizes he's going down, it's a certain song that he'll listen to. Um, I hadn't had a full on episode since 2011, and then um, some I don't, so something happened in. Um, November last year, so 2019, and I started getting obsessed with uh, Panic at the Disco. Uh, I, I knew of them years ago when, when they were when it was when I was younger, but wow. um, never really kind of paid that much attention. And then High Hopes came out. Such a good song. song. So and then I started downloading off um, off iTunes every single album that they've ever done, every single EP that they've ever done. Um, and after six months, so from um, November to the end of February, I was constantly listening to Panic at the Disco on the train, on the bus, walking to work, at work. I, I, that, our company was very kind of um, well, re- relaxed, I guess. So me and my friend would kind of sit there and watch YouTube things on while we were working and listen to music and stuff. And I listened to Panic at the Disco all the time. I'd watch videos of them on YouTube while I was at work. Um, and then it got to the point where I was kind of looking for meaning in their lyrics. I was at work at, at the end of February. And then um, suddenly this, this thing, I don't know what it was. I call it an alien being where it was, it's not an alien, not in the green mask. Yeah. It was something that was completely separate from me mm-hmm. that was taking over me and kind of telling me what I needed to do and telling me like, you need to, you need to listen to this so that you can get a message from that. And then I realised that actually this, this is pretty wrong now. This, this is really weird. I don't actually enjoy this anymore. So I remember ringing my mum at work and I was like, mum, we picked up and we need to go to a because this is, this, this is the problem. And I couldn't get, like you have um, a support network. So I had a, a psychiatric nurse, but she went onto the phone and I'd been trying to get hold of her for like two, three days. And then I tried to get in touch with my GP, couldn't get an appointment, tried to get in touch with the psychiatrist, couldn't get through to him. So the only option I had got out for it went really bad was to go to A and E. So I did. And then the um, we called the raise team, so it's not the crisis team as, as such now, it's a bit um a bit different. But they effectively do the same thing. So they came down to see me and they said, Right, you've got two choices. Um, you can either go into hospital or you can have home based treatment. So I promised myself in 2011 that I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to go back into hospital. So I picked home-based treatment. And that was probably the, the worst decision that I could have made because they, they just weren't great. So if you go into hospital, the, thing, the, the first thing they do is look at your meds um, to make sure you're on the right meds, make sure you've been taking them, does anything need changing. Home-based treatment, that my particular care coordinator um, looked at me, looked at the diagnosis, looked at what um, how I live my life. So I have um, a full time job um, and I see friends as well. During during work like a lot of them were in Manchester. So we 
always meet up on lunch breaks, that kind of thing. And she kind of said, she didn't kind of say, she said, um, you need to stop working. You need to stop seeing your friends as much. Um, and uh, I was something else as well, I can't was. And I thought, I said to her, hang on a minute. Oh, that's sort of public speaking, that was it. I did, did you talk too much of that. So I said, well, hang on a minute. I've worked, I've worked really hard to get where I am. I've accepted my illness. I've worked around the illness. Um, I've taken control of it. I've done all of these things. Um, and she she said, well, you're bipolar, so you shouldn't be trying to, you shouldn't try and hide anything. <laughs> what it was the a case fuck? Of, like, she's, this woman, exactly, yeah. This woman has walked into my house and... Um, and who's she, a nurse? Is telling me... Sorry. She's just she's a nurse. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah, she, um, a psychiatric nurse, and I was like, really? And then the, the kind of the cherry on the cake, well, what is it? The icing on the cake, rather, was when she's she's getting up to go, and she um she's looking at my wallpaper, and she's looking around at my house, and she's like, you know what? You've got a really nice house, and you, she said it in such a way that half a sentence was missing. And half, the other half of the sentence was for a mentally ill person, you got a really nice house. It was almost like you you can't have a job, you can't have friends, you can't do things like public speaking, you certainly can't have a house. Well, do you know why she's saying that? Person. She's saying that because she wants to keep you in the system and she has a fucking job. Yeah, and it was the, the thing was, like, I knew whatever it was that had happened, I knew it wasn't my fault. I hadn't done anything differently. Yeah. So I wanted my medication to be looked at. And she cancelled the appointment with a psychiatrist three times because she said, there's nothing wrong with you, there's nothing wrong with your med, you just need to rest and and, uh, and stop all of those things that I've just told you. So when you have home-based treatment, it's um, different people more or less every day. And uh, so that was on the, che- the, the Tuesday I saw her. And on the Saturday, when she cancelled the appointment three times, somebody came to see me and I said, I, can, I need to see a psychiatrist. And he was lovely, this guy. I said, I need to see the psychiatrist because something's not right and it's not going to get any better if I don't see them. So he said, get the sign, that's what you want, I'll make sure that happens. So he made sure it wasn't cancelled again. So I, I saw um, the psychiatrist on, on the Wednesday, the following Wednesday. So I lost like eight or nine days of it when it could have been sorted the day after I'd, I'd been in a Yeah. Um, and after talking to him for about three or four minutes, he said, yeah, this isn't you, it's nothing that you've done. It's you've had a bad reaction, a psychotic reaction to one of the meds that we've put you on. So that's why I didn't recognise the signs. I didn't know there was anything wrong. And I thought listening to Panic at the Disco for six months was perfectly normal because it was different to what I normally have. Um, so it was kind of brilliant in a way that, yes, I've not done anything wrong. It's not my fault. But also I've been prevented from getting better for nine days because somebody else, had an opinion that were, that she thought was more valid over mine. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. So did did uh, did she like say anything like was wrong about like the med- medication that you were taking? I, I don't want to be like in- inquisitive, but like sometimes I just don't know when to shut my fucking mouth. But like, what's no, the like? No, I'm happy to talk. It's fine. <laughs> what uh, kind of medication are you on then? So um, now I'm on um, so I'm on like three they call it mood stabilizers. So for back for bipolar they put you on something that balances out the high and balances out the, the low, so it brings you up to the middle. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I am on uh, lithium, which is the kind of the bog standard. Like, Nirvana. As you say bipolar, people know like they're like, oh, you on lithium? So I'm on lithium, and then I'm on something called tyrosine, 
which is three in one. So lithium kind of controls your high, where protein sort of um, it's an antipsychotic, an antidepressant, and a mood stabilizer. So it it like it does everything in the tin, so it makes sure that there's no psychotic symptoms, like hearing voices and, and seeing things that aren't there, mm-hmm. and uh, it lifts your depression and it kind of brings your um, your high down to a kind of mid medium level. And then back in uh, June ish, I started a new one, which is Lamotrigine, um, and that sort of that's the that's more I think think it controls the high more than anything else, and that's what I was having. I was having more of a bit high than a low. Um, but on top of the, I did on top of the bipolar and the um, stoma, I also got um, a cognitive impairment. So um, and it's. They're not sure whether, yes, we're not sure whether it's a reaction to one of the meds, like a side effect of one of the meds, which is probably the matrigine, or they don't know whether it's a rare side effect of bipolar. So I like, I have difficulty, like, I, I, you say to people, I've got a terrible memory, and they go, well, I've got a terrible memory as well. And they say, well, that's fine that you've got a terrible memory, but I also struggle with going upstairs. So it's like my feet will forget how to walk. Mm, yeah. um, so I go, yeah, so you climb three stairs and then like my right foot kind of went forward once and then it's like, I don't know, I don't, it doesn't know what to do now. So I kind of fell on the stairs and then I had to kind of regain my um, my position and I'm like, okay, so what, what we do, we forgot, we've actually forgotten how to climb stairs here. So I had to learn in that moment how to climb the stairs. Yeah. And I had to, um, sometimes signing your signature is really difficult. I get, I've took something back so to the shop, like you know, like and you get a refund. Sorry, it's sort of like a motor, sort of like your motor skills, like you literally yeah, just go guess, back to square one. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, and it, it's really odd because you stood there and you're going, I know how to spell. I've been writing my signature for the last 38 years. Um, so why why can I not do it right now? And it's like, oh, well, your memory just must, must have gone blank. Well, yeah, but does your memory go blank when you write your signature? Do you forget how to write the letters of your, your name? Yeah. And then um, things like, it's just random stuff that doesn't make any sense, like buying stairs and tying shoelaces, and sometimes I'll be out of time shoelaces, and I'm there for like 20 minutes going, how do you tie your shoelace? And it's, it's just stuff like that that you can't really explain, and you haven't got any answers for either. And and not any coping strategies either, so yeah. you've got coping strategies for your bipolar and your stoma, um, but how do you cope with not being able to climb stairs? Do you just look up like a YouTube video? No. <laughs> Try that. All the answers are on YouTube. Yeah, so next Not time you have like... A, that's where I'm going wrong. Yeah, next time you have an episode, just make sure that you're like, you've got your phone next to you and you're like, fuck right, walking upstairs. <laughs> um, exactly, yeah. That's fucking crazy. Like, because sometimes like, remember like whenever you you went to school and then whenever you came back from summer holidays you like forgot how to like spell some words yeah that's kind of how i like yeah yeah it's literally like that yeah it's sort of like that's like the minuscule version of it but uh yeah that's that's fucking i can imagine that like just forgetting how to do like those like those like simple tasks that you like just obviously like you're it's just human like it's your second nature like you just know how to walk up a fucking a pair of stairs yeah and yeah, crossing roads as well. Like after lockdown, I was trying to cross the road and I forgot what to do. And I was like, "Well, yeah, it's lockdown, so maybe I'll." But I was thinking, which way do I look? Now, how do I look? And it was just the logistics of it that you don't 
that you take for granted. Like, you, you know, when you were saying walking, walking on crutches, you take for granted that you can walk yeah, and stuff like that. Thing. And then that's taken away from you. And then you suddenly go, what the hell is this? How the hell has this happened? Why do I not know how to cross the road? That's insane. So see with the, uh, see with the medication then, um, I had a guy, Leon, um, I don't know if you listened to the episode, um, but he had um, like depression, uh, high anxiety, um, and he was on uh, different types of medication. Uh, I'll ask you like sort of same questions I asked him. Do you ever see yourself coming off the medication? No, never. No. And that was that was very blunt. That was it, like just straight no. Do you feel like if you so like obviously there's like a lot of uh, there's like a lot of like uh, stigma about like uh, certain medications because there's types of uh, medications that people obviously don't agree with. So like they all think that pharmaceutical companies are um, exploiting people with mental illnesses and, and making them hooked on these really addictive um medications um what what have you ever like really fought into it or do do you just like sort of you just take it because you know that it's gonna um it's gonna give you that it's gonna say what it says on on the on the box yeah um i in the early days i would i'd be i'd be the first that you get your prescription whack off in the box and then look at all of the stuff that's in that leaflet um, and then as I, as I got older, I just thought, can I see initially, I thought, right, I'll get better and then I'll come off the meds and I'll be absolutely fine, uh, cured. But as you get older, you realise that that's not going to be the case and, that, and then medication's there for a reason. And then, you know, these days when you go and see a doctor or you go and see a psychiatrist, they will tell you what the side effects are and to be aware of them and how, um, how to deal with them in case they're really bad. If they're really bad, then you, you kind of have to come off it and try something else. Um, and I think I did see a life without meds at one point, but as I've got older, it's kind of got a lot worse than bipolar, so it needs a lot more meds or medication to deal with it. Um, and I always say, uh, like I, I kind of co-facilitate a bipolar group for um, a charity here, and me and my friend do it between us. And um, when, you're, when you've got people in the room that don't want to take meds, and they they're on meds and they don't and they kind of act a little bit irresponsibly in a way and they don't take the mess the mess them around with them and then I always say like I've got doma if I woke up one morning had a shower on meds you know what I don't want to put my vibe on today there will be shit everywhere yeah it, it would not be pretty it would be awful we poo everywhere and I try and relate that to the to the brain to the bipolar brain so if you don't take your meds then inside your brain there's gonna be a lot of shit everywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be an absolute mess and you can't control any of that. So if you take your meds as instructed and they're the right kind of meds for you, then that's all contained. That's all, you know, it, it's set straight. It's on the right path. So it's like putting a bag on. Um, you've got poo in the bag rather than everywhere else. Um, but the one thing I do always say to people is like, there's so many different psychiatric drugs out there that do various different things. If one doesn't suit you, then you have... Um, you're entitled to a quality of life. You're entitled to feel feel things and be happy and experience sadness and that kind of stuff. Just human nature, human the way that humans work. So if you're not happy on your meds, then it's all, it's a discussion. It's like a 
a negotiation process with your doctor to kind of get them to change what's right for you mm-hmm. rather than them thinking, oh, I'll just medicate you and then you decide. Yeah. And you, you just kind of you put in a box. So, yeah, it, it is. I think if you can find the right meds, then I I found the right meds, so I wouldn't come off them. Yeah. So I wouldn't. I don't think, no. And I think if you, unless you're unhappy with them, try, try and change them before you decide to not take them at all. Yeah, and uh, does your like so? How's your sleep now? Like compared to like whenever you were going through like the um the sort of uh the major episodes that you would have with your um bipolar. Like, is your sleep better now, or is it just? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I um when I when I've been off a lot since April, but um when when I'm working full-time job was normal then I get like eight and nine hours of sleep no problem not not a problem at all whereas if I'm having an episode it's either like two or three or I can go two or three days without any sleep at all Fuck. so it's it's yeah it's a no no brainer it's, it's such a difference yeah. and that sleep makes it a lot easier as well whereas if you're awake for spending that time your, your brain's going to be kind of moving everywhere and looking at everything and it gets more excited. Instead of feeling tired when you're bipolar, it creates a high. Mm-hmm. So instead of being like, oh my God, I need to go to bed, you're, you start thinking, yeah, I can do anything. I don't need sleep. Who needs sleep? Yeah, And you usually okay. think, yeah, you can, it's like you can bore in a way. Yeah. You think you can do so many things um, and that, that's when the danger starts, I think. And uh, probably one last question on the bipolar. Um, how, like, if you had to like describe it in sort of like layman's terms for people, like how would you describe it? Like if you if your episode was sort of like starting, like how do you how do you describe it? Describe it. Describe the illness or an episode. So like say like you're just say you're just normal like the way me and you're talking now, but like say something just like snap like right now, like how like how do you describe that? Um, right, so there's different ways. So if I was going up, I'd be I'd be saying I can do absolutely anything. I don't need to sleep. I don't I don't need to eat. I especially don't need to drink because I've got too much to do. Um, and I'm then you've got the messages. So maybe I'm feeling I'm having messages from music, or I'm seeing things, or um, I'm seeing people, and, and I'm hearing things. Uh, if I was on a low, lows I have a lot like a depression, but um, a bipolar depression is it can have no reason or it can have every reason so you can be clutching at absolutely everything that makes you sad or everything that's so destroying and it, it's not worse than a depression but it's, it's at the bottom of a pit where you don't feel or you can't see any way of coming out because it's a chemical thing there's no there's no way of dragging yourself out of it you've just got to either weigh it out or adjust your meds and then it eventually it lifts. But there's a lot of people who, you know, even with normal, not normal, but with depression, the normal diagnosis, they experience the feeling of suicide and that kind of thing. And, yeah. and it, is, it is quite the same same way. Um, and I think that's why it gets misdiagnosed because some people like, experience the depression side before they get the high. So it is <laughs> diagnosed with depression. And then they put you on antidepressants. But if you've got bipolar, the antidepressant will lift your mood, but it can, it can escalate to like yeah. from minus to 100. 
that's see whenever like i think of like uh whenever i think of bipolar like i obviously just like think about like uh like things i've seen like in the movies or like people who uh like would use it as like an insult like so say like someone has a major mood shift they'd be like oh you're just fucking bipolar do you know what i mean like and it's so horrible like because when you speak to someone like you who actually has it like that's not how it is like is it because i know on movies they like try and treat it like it's sort of like a personality disorder don't they yeah 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 they never quite get it right but um it's a bit it's mostly a chemical imbalance Mm -hmm. but in TV shows or like same films, they they create like a problem and then that kicks off the bipolar. And yes, your episode can be uh, set off by something that's happened, like a death or something or a wedding. Like it can be absolutely anything. Like a lot of people say, what your triggers, but I don't believe in triggers specifically because it could be that you're you, you still you've got a new carpet and you spill some red wine and carpet and then you ruin your carpet. And that because that anxiety, because you spent so much money on it, can create an episode, um, and it sort of messes with your messes with your emotions and the way you feel about stuff. So, like, um, you know, what you see on Facebook, and sometimes they somebody's commented on something, and once there was a girl who's excuse me, that's okay. They then said in reply to someone's comment, "Oh my God, that's so bipolar." Mm. Now I don't mind if you're going to do something like that, but at least get back right first. Because yeah. What you, what she's just said and your response your response to that is not is not correct. Yeah. It's not right. And sometimes you see something in um, films or TV and they've got the whole thing wrong. And when you're in a bipolar community and when you're at um, a self help group. Sometimes you get people coming in having seen something like EastEnders and they go, oh, I've got, I've got it like that. I'm like, no, that's not even right. No, <laughs> it's so insulting, like for like someone like yourself who actually <laughs> has it. And I'm sure it's like the same with um, a lot of other different things in the world when people get it wrong. But um, yeah, whenever you hear bipolar, it's more of like sort of like an insult from people just being bitchy, and it's uh, it's not cool. Like I said, whenever you speak to somewhere like yourself but um it's actually leading me into the next topic which is uh that's why you're doing the sort of speeches as well isn't it yeah yeah so i guess it's ever um like ever asked me why i started doing it yeah and it just got really you know just everyone getting it wrong and then i when i started five years ago i nearly six years ago i didn't i couldn't even read um a horoscope aloud if somebody asked me to read aloud i'd, I'd be out that door straight away. The Catherine shaped hole in the wall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. And so, so how I thought of becoming a public speaker, I've absolutely no idea. I just wanted to kind of speak out and do this. <laughs> I went to this, um, oh, what was it? A, a speaking club in Bolton, and it was run by um, a lot of old ladies who had never encountered mental illness before and then when they asked me what what I was trying to do I said I've got bipolar I wanted to um, talk about it and that was the first time I've been open about it about six years ago and I, I thought if you want to do this you don't have to do it properly you don't have to tell people you've got it yeah so they got me from being a from not being able to even say my name in public or not being able to read in public to entering a competition um which was the North Pennine area speech contest and I 
spoke about drag queens for eight minutes and um, I came first. So I did, while I didn't talk about bipolar, yeah. I talked about one of my other sessions, which is drag queens. Um, <laughs> so, and then I realised that if I can talk about drag queens to old people across the country, then I can talk about my bipolar. Yeah. So I just took it from there, basically. And I, I got in touch with charities and they asked me to speak. And like, I speak with three different charities now. And um, I go across the country, I go to schools, unis um, and tell my story and I didn't really think I had a story initially I didn't really know what my story was you know people um, talk about when they've been when they've had taken drugs and they've, they've been to prison and um, they've been like, abused by parents or families or anybody and I didn't really have any of that all I had was like my strange upbringing but not out of this world um, and a mental illness that I, I've learned to take a bit of notice of and take control of so it just went from there I do, still don't still don't really think I've got a massive story to talk about or to share but <laughs> people listen so yeah. I make people cry sometimes so um, I always say that as a good thing if I can get an emotion out of someone yeah. then that means I've had an effect on someone yeah, so you've stuck I think that's a good thing yeah definitely um, so you won the competition and then you uh, did how did you like start like because I seen that like you had did you talk in, to schools was it or something in one of your Instagram yeah, posts? Yeah. So yeah. how did that come about? I uh, I wrote to schools. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I wrote to them and I said, This is this is what I do and this is what I've achieved. Um have me as a speaker. Um so my old secondary school got me to talk to thirty, forty kids, um, hand picked kids that were uh, struggling or had emotional problems or something. Oh, and they needed good. someone to kind of come in and say, right, okay, I had the same thing and this yeah. is how I've dealt with it and how I deal with it. And so I did that. And I remember at the end of it, um, I kind of milling around the, the desk and the tables and I said, if anyone's got any questions, just ask me. And one of the girls said to me, when when was it that you, start, that you stopped hating yourself? And I thought, oh, oh this 16-year-old girl has that emotion. And I thought, that's what's missing from school. Me and Emma have talked quite a lot about it, like school and how mental health isn't taken note of and isn't kind of... Yeah, it's not. Right, and there's no awareness of it. They do these talking days where it's like, let's get a speaker and it's not mental health. And then after that, they tick the box and they don't need to do anymore. But um, for me, it was a lot more about helping kids and helping people and just creating that awareness that if you have got something, no matter what it is, then it doesn't have to beat you. It doesn't have to... Um, be something that's terrible. Yeah. Um, it can be something that you can accept and deal with, and it doesn't have to be something that destroys you. Yeah. No, exactly. That's fucking. That's so true. Um, that's amazing that you talk to those kids then, and I take it where they, did any of them cry or anything like that whenever you were speaking to them? Like, did you could you see you like hit a hit a chord with a child? Do you know what was really weird? Like, I, um. That, that particular group, I'm actually still in touch with one of the girls, and um, she's like 18 now, mm-hmm. um, and it was, that was really cool, because she kind of reached, reached out to me over Twitter afterwards, and asked, like, asked me to help her with some of the stuff that she was going on with, and um, emotional stuff and family stuff, and I thought, actually, I have made a difference there. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest one, that I, the one that I always wanted to do was talk to um, health professionals or students that were going to be 
in the psychiatry industry, I guess, that mm, nurses and psychologists and everything. So I was doing a speech at my own uni, um, the, the pre-dinner speech, you know, one of the conferences. And at the end of it, when um, a lady came up to me, she was a lecturer at um, Abertay University in Dundee. And she said, um, have you got a business card? So I gave my business card. And then a couple of months later, she emailed me and said, would you be able to do um, a speech in, like for um, 100 and something students who were um, psychiatric nurses, psychologists <laughs> and counsellors? And I was like, yes, absolutely. And they said, we can't pay you, but we'll do your train fare. I was like, absolutely not a problem. I'll do it straight. So they paid my train fare. I went up there. And it was exactly what I wanted to do. And it was kind of, I was stood there looking at 120 people going, I've, I've reached the point where I wanted to be. I've done, I don't know whether this is going to work, but I, I want to do it. I've achieved what my go- one of my goals. And um, I'm stood there talking to these 120 people. And I've got so many people coming up to me afterwards and saying, that, oh, we, we know much more about um, the illness. We know much more about the person because it's not just about having the illness it's about the person behind the label yeah because everyone's different and i was going to be honest i'm not this is me this is my story but when you go out in the field you're going to have so many other people with so many different stories and symptoms but with the same diagnosis mm-hmm. and it was about kind of counteracting those those people in the past that had said i'd never have um i'd never finish my degree i'd never get a job i'd never have a husband because of the illness and I proved all of that wrong. And I wanted to show the professionals that when they went into the, the job and the field and saw these people, that they didn't have to pigeonhole those people that they were meeting. Yeah. That you will never have any of this because it's all up to the individual. That's amazing. That's fucking class. Um, <laughs> no, that's good. Like, I, I'm glad that you, like, you sort of, that you um, made that decision to go and speak to the uh the kids at the university are actually going through and what they're learning because it gives them sort of uh, that sort of one to one hand in hand experience of with someone with the illness and then at least they'll know how to approach someone with um exactly. with the bipolar um and how they can sort of treat it like that's amazing and that's so that's like something that like that's like one of the things like whenever you grow up older like you want to help out more people and like what you've done there like like you're giving something back do you know what i mean which is brilliant because you're taking like the sort of shit experiences that you've had and you're giving it to someone else to make sure that it doesn't happen again and like that's like one of like the ultimate goals in life isn't it yeah absolutely definitely i, I think you've got two choices it destroys you or it makes you like i don't think that um i'm a person i am because of stuff that I've got, I think I'm the person I am in spite of the things I've got. So I've kind of kicked them to the side and say, I'm, I'm in charge. I'm the one that does this. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing I wanted to do was, even though I don't have a massive story, I wanted to show people in the simplest of ways that no matter what's gone on, can make something of yourself. And I think Emma's done the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's taken a shit situation and yeah. she's, you know, she's made something of herself that's massively, I, so impressive, and that's why I got in touch with her. Because <laughs> I could see how, how well she'd done. Yeah. No, it's she has. She's done very well. I'm very proud of her. Um, yeah, no. Well, I think we've sort of went over everything. I was really, I'm really happy with that. Yeah. That conversation was brilliant. Yeah. Um, we touched on the poo, oh. which is amazing because it's one of my top uh, subjects to talk about. Anyone who knows me personally, they know I love talking about shit. Uh, <laughs> so that's good. Um, 
I feel like, yeah, we talked a good bit about uh, bipolar. I think you really cleared up for some people who didn't know what it was. Um, I feel like a lot of people probably had the same sort of impression of bipolar as me, where um, you just, you use it as like an insult to people and you don't actually know what it is. It's not a personality disorder. Um, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people definitely learned something from this podcast. Um where can people like uh, find you? Obviously, you said you're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Do you have like a blog? Yeah, mostly. Yeah. So um, we've got a more bipolar related thing on well, bipolar stoma thing on um, Instagram. So it's bipolar with a stoma. Mm-hmm. Um, quite simple. And then yeah. I'm on Facebook, which is Katerina Jenkins Bathy. But yeah, that's a bit, <laughs> a bit more difficult. Yeah. I got married at the time, so it meant it's really hard and put another one in there. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, on Instagram, I've got all my uh, my stuff there. Um, on it's kind of building up, and I also got a website and a blog. Okay. So um, the blog I've just yeah, the blog I've just started will be blog and then underscore bipolar stoma. So, and I've got a website connected to that as well. So I'm all over social media, all over the internet. Yeah, good. No, that's good. So if you, if you just send it to me afterwards, I'll uh, make sure to include it in the post that I'll put up and I'll put it on. I, I mainly focus on Spotify and YouTube. So I'll, uh, on YouTube, I'll have like all the links underneath the um, the video. Wow. And then like Spotify and like uh, Apple Podcasts. It's basically, it's anywhere you can uh, get a podcast, it'll be on. But in the post on Instagram and the post on YouTube, it'll have all the links for uh, your website and stuff. And then hopefully people reach out to you and hopefully someone that asks, yeah, yeah, that's that's what you want. You just want to help people. Um, exactly, yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, thanks very much for coming on, Katarina. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, it's been brilliant. Thanks so much for having me. I know, that's <laughs> a good really start fun. to the day. <laughs> all right, cool. Thanks very much. Yeah, no worries. Have a good day. See you later. Are you taking